grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Our first lesson for this fifth Sunday after Pentecost is found recorded in the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, beginning at verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man who is my associate, declares the Lord of armies. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. This will take place in the whole land, declares the Lord. Two-thirds of those who remain in it will be cut off and perish, but one-third will be left in it. I will put that third into the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined. I will test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, beginning at the 23rd verse. But before this faith came, we were held in custody under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. So the law was our chaperone until Christ, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a chaperone. In fact, we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Indeed, as many of you as were baptized into Christ has been clothed with Christ. There is not Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one and the same in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, beginning at the 18th verse. One time when Jesus was praying alone and the disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others say one of the ancient prophets come back to life. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. He gave them a strict command not to tell this to anyone. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law. He must be killed and be raised on the third day. Jesus said to all of them, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, beginning at the 18th verse. I'd like to read these words once again. One time when Jesus was praying alone and the disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others said, Elijah, and others say, 
one of the ancient prophets come back to life. He said to them, but what do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. He gave them a strict command not to tell this to anyone. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law. He must be killed and be raised on the third day. Jesus said to all of them, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, are you one who falls into the camp of thinking that when it comes to sharing the holy gospel of Jesus Christ and the making of disciples as Jesus commanded and being his witnesses to the ends of the earth, that that's really the pastor's job. Besides, that's what we hire him for, isn't it? In fact, isn't that why he's getting paid? And, and besides, he's got all that training to go and do. I don't have all that. And you might even be tempted to think, well, he's got to have some more work to do since he just works on Sunday anyway. <laughs> but even in the light of all of that, is the holy command of our Lord to witness his holy name isn't a command that was just given to the pastors or even trained pastors. I've heard people over the years say that why they're afraid to even witness is because they just don't know what to say. But in all honesty, I've never found that to be the case. People do know what to say. But what I have found to be the case is oftentimes they're not prepared on what to say. And there's where the fears come in. Once again, not that you don't know, but being prepared. Even St. Peter wrote that be prepared to give the hope that you have and to do this always. So how can you be prepared? Well, let's look at how Jesus prepared his disciples. Now Jesus, in preparing them, did send them out two by two. And in fact, he sent out 20, 72 of his disciples to go and witness and go from village to village, proclaiming the holy name and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. In fact, he even gave them strict orders on, on what to do, and especially if they, were, if they would be rejected and how they were to move on to the next town. But don't stop that preaching. Well, after they came back, we're told that the words and message of Jesus and who he was and what he was all about was, was starting to be spread all over, especially that northern kingdom of Galilee. But rumors were getting down to Jerusalem and that surrounding area. By the way, this is also the time when John the Baptist's head was removed from his body. He was murdered by King Herod. In a drunken stupor, he gave the order to have John the Baptist ended. This is also the time when Jesus, after his disciples were doing missionary work, he gathered them together, and Jesus actually performed a miracle 
It was out in the area of Bethsaida, and, and over 5,000 families were there. And remember, Jesus fed them after preaching to them all day. He fed them with just a handful of fish and bread. 5,000 families, anywhere from 10 to 12,000 people, some even estimate up to 15,000. And with just a few loaves of bread and fish, the disciples would collect 12 basketfuls of leftover pieces after everyone had their fill. It was sometime after that that we find Jesus alone with his disciples, especially the twelve. And this was an important alone time because we're told in our text that Jesus was praying. And he yearned to do that and, and to have that time and oftentimes went out on his own or up in the mountain by himself in order to pray and have that heart-to-heart -heart talk with the Heavenly Father. But he also yearned for private time with his disciples because this is towards the end of his three-year ministry. He's making his way to Jerusalem, and he really yearned for this private time because he was preparing them for what was ahead. And he did it in such a unique and beautiful way. He started out with the question, who do the crowds say I am? And the crowds replied, well, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others say one of the ancient prophets come back to life. What is interesting is these very words were in the text before the feeding of the 5,000. These were the exact words that were actually spoken to King Herod. King Herod found what people were saying about Jesus fascinating because he knew he had beheaded John the Baptist, so he knew that Jesus couldn't be John the Baptist even coming back from the dead. But this made him eager to want to see him. Later we hear that his eagerness grew to the point where he really looked forward to seeing a miracle from Jesus, which Jesus didn't give him. But John the Baptist, Elijah from the Old Testament, or maybe one of the other prophets from the Old Testament, one thing we could say for sure is what they're saying about Jesus is very nice and kind. These were, these were prophets that people were looking up to. For John the Baptist, huge crowds came to check out what he had to say as he preached by the Jordan River just outside of Jerusalem. But all these words are very superstitious. John the Baptist was dead. Elijah was dead. They didn't even just simply call him a prophet and, and say, hey, he proclaims the name of the Lord and, and he's a modern-day prophet that has come among us. No, they would always refer to him as an ancient prophet who's come back from the dead. And why that connection, we're not told. But here is what we are told. Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say I am? And when they, and they remember, they just came back from doing missionary work. Who 
who do you say I am? Peter, obviously speaking in behalf of the group, replied, the Christ of God. In the Gospel of Matthew, we're told, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Two things come out, that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah. Christ is the Greek word, Messiah, the Old Testament word. Both mean anointed one. He is the anointed one who came to serve as prophet, priest, and king. And therefore, that word, it was always associated as the word of the Savior. And Peter announced, you are that Savior. But he also announced, you are the son of the living God. That you're not just a, a human being, like a great prophet. But you are the son of God who was taken on human flesh. To be, to do what no human being could do to win for us the forgiveness of sins and the hope of everlasting life. Jesus did not hesitate to explain to them what that's going to mean. And what it was going to mean was not going to be to, to their liking. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law. He must be killed and be raised on the third day. Four things they brought out, he is going to suffer. He is going to be rejected by the religious leaders. He is going to be killed, in fact, by crucifixion. But he will raise on the third day and be victorious. This is what was going to need it to be done in order to have that great exchange where Jesus would take on the sins of the world and in return, through faith in him, we would receive the righteousness of God. And connected with that righteousness is the very thing that our souls yearn for, the forgiveness of sins and the hope of everlasting life in heaven. Jesus truly was the Christ, the Son of the living God. There was no other. He's not one among many. He's the only one. We do not expect another Savior to come because what he did, he completed, and he did it in full. And we know this by the beautiful words, it is finished. By the way, Peter did not like what Jesus had said. He actually rebuked Jesus for saying it. Jesus rebuked Peter in return and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Because this is exactly what Jesus came to do. He wasn't coming to be their bread king. He wasn't coming to be a king who would establish a government and usurp the authority and, and overthrow the authority of the Roman Empire. He wasn't going to establish an army that would march out so we could have a new world order and a one nation under God. No, he came to establish a spiritual kingdom where our Savior would rule in the hearts of people by his holy word. A Savior who gave his life, paid for our sins in full, a payment we could not make ourselves and live, but he made it and rose from the dead, conquered death. And that blessing of forgiveness and new life, that blessing of the resurrection and eternal life, is ours through faith in him.
And anything contrary to the truth is a lie. So when it comes to when it comes to proclaiming his holy name, when it comes to going and making disciples, when it comes to being his witnesses to the ends of the earth, it always has to be founded on the truth. Really, the first step of witnessing his name. As Jesus taught it to his disciples, is hearing what he has to say, taking to heart what he has to say, and proclaiming what he has said. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We proclaim this with our lips, but we also proclaim it with our very lives. Jesus went on to say, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In order to be a disciple of Jesus, he said three things would happen. One is you would deny yourself. Deny the thinking that you can save yourself. Denying yourself has no room for selfishness, no room for humanism, no room for thinking that you are God and that the world revolves around you. And especially when it comes to your salvation. We're not saved by what we do. We're not saved by the good we think we can do. We're saved by the goodness and the greatness of our Savior who paid for those sins in our behalf. We deny ourselves. Crying, Lord, please have mercy on me, a sinner. And then he goes on to say, and take up your cross. Some people say that this cross means the daily troubles and tribulations that you face every day. These are the crosses you bear. And to not be discouraged by those trials and tribulations as our hearts cling to Christ, our Savior. And of course, the cross can't be the cross that Jesus bore for paying for our sins, because none of us could pay that and endure that kind of cross. And nor did God ask us to do it. No, the cross that's being spoken of here in the light of this entire chapter, in the light of the fact that Jesus, in setting out his disciples, warned them against being persecuted. They're going to hate you because they hate me. The cross that we bear are the crosses that we bear for proclaiming his holy name. Not everyone is going to be excited and rejoice and give thanks that Jesus is their Savior, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And even in the light of those persecutions, even in the light of the trials and tribulations that come with being his witnesses, Christ says, take up that cross. But we don't pick up that cross. We, didn't, we don't endure those trials simply because we're tough enough. We're thick-skinned. We can handle it. We do so as servants of Christ, knowing he is with us. He called us to be seed planters. And we plant the seed that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then follow me, he said. And there's only one way to follow Jesus. 
There's only one way to walk where Jesus has walked and to put our feet into his sandals. And that is to take the heart, the holy word he has given us. That's following Jesus. To accept that word, not as we think it says, what it says, but to take it for what it actually does say. And at the heart of God's holy word is this message of Jesus Christ, who will suffer and be rejected and killed, and on the third day rise again victorious. Which is exactly what he did for us all. So the one who wants to save his life will lose it, and the one who loses his life for my sake will save it. These words sound very confusing, but keep them within the context. To save your life means you're not denying yourself. You're not taking up the cross, and you're not taking the heart and following Jesus and his holy word. You will lose it, because that's the definition of unbelief. For the one who does deny, and the one who does take up the cross, and the one who does follow Christ with that believing heart, which is a gift of God, the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, always testifying of Christ, that person will be saved. That's a believer. So my dear friends, when it comes to being prepared and witnessing Christ, keep in mind, that our, our duties, the command that Christ has given us, this privilege that we have to share his holy name, isn't simply around trying to make members. Certainly, I always want members, and I always want to see more members. I want to see more come and join the family of believers, especially here at Salem. And to join us in the privilege and honor that God has given us in and, and the privilege that we so enjoy as we not only share his holy name, but we do so even with worshiping together and, and even with our offerings and even the use of our time and talents. As we let the light of Christ shine in our very lives. But my friends, we're here to make disciples. We're here to proclaim his holy name. If we have an opportunity to witness Christ, and even though they don't join us, we ought not to be discouraged. Or, or to think it doesn't pay to witness to some people because if they don't join us, our numbers just won't go up. It's not about the numbers. It's about proclaiming his holy name and sharing that holy name with everyone we meet. There is no greater honor in all the world but to do that, and not only using our lips, but to let the love of Christ shine in our very lives. We're not just in the member-making business. We're in the disciple-making business. And what a joy and privilege it will be to join all believers in that great family reunion in heaven. And then to meet people that said, thank you for witnessing. And even though you didn't get to see the harvest, <clears throat> but you planted the seed. And now in heaven you see the harvest. 
Is it ever a waste to share God's holy name? Oh, it may look like it. I've seen so many members of this congregation standing in the entryway. It has brought tears to my eyes when they say, hey, I invited someone to come to church, pastor, and they're waiting by the door, and they wait till the last minute. They even wait till the door <laughs> five, ten minutes after church has started, and the people didn't show up, and how easy it is to be discouraged by that. And yet I rejoice, because you did share. You did invite. It may not be the results you want, but you're doing what God has called you to do. And therefore, to him be the glory. God didn't call us to simply be successful, but he did call us to be faithful. And only in Christ Jesus are we faithful. Hearing his word, taking it to heart, and proclaiming that divine truth, and confessing that divine truth, that Jesus is the Christ of God. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.